17 through 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Palm Sunday, the beginning of what we call Holy Week, a period of seven days from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday that for the Christian is the most important week of the entire calendar. It's the week that we get to recognize Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for the very last time. We get to recognize what took place on the cross. That's Good Friday. And we get to recognize that Jesus crucified, buried, laid in a tomb, rose again victorious on Easter Sunday. Uh, This week is so important because it, in many ways, it fulfills all the things that the Old Testament sought to produce in the coming, the dying, and the raising of Jesus. And and this morning, we're going to celebrate part of that week, that Holy Week ceremony in the Lord's table, in the Lord's Supper. But I'd like to share a bit before we get to that celebration about what it means and how it can connect to our lives today. If you think back to the the days of long ago, to the times of kings and queens, of what was old Europe, uh, places like France and Spain and Italy, England, you, in your imagination, may have pictures of great banquet halls, the sizes of cathedrals, And there in these great banquet halls would be these amazing celebrations for the king and for the queen. Uh, They would have all sorts of entertainers and artists, jugglers and dancers and musicians. Some of these banquets would be something like 15 course meals. And wouldn't that be fun? You start at 6, 7 o'clock and you're still eating at 11 or 12 in the evening. Uh, The Tableware would be absolutely ornate, gold, silver, uh, jeweled plates, cups, glasses, forks. The candles and the centerpieces would be to delicately share how powerful the kingdom was. And there on the upper dais, the upper table would be the king and the queen in all their glory and their clothing and their crowns and, and their family would be on each side. It would truly be a place where you would never forget that you had made it into the castle. You'd made it to the table of the king. You'd been invited to a great banquet. In our modern era, we still have some of this, not here in the United States per se, but In England, we actually still have some of this. I want to show you a photo of a recent dinner in England uh, under the leadership of Queen Elizabeth II, you know, the 90-something-year-old queen. Don't y'all see her, you know, with her beautiful little outfits and hats and purses? Uh, She's never going to die. I mean, Charles is never going to be king, and forget about it, William, Harry, y'all are never getting a chance. This woman's going to live till she's a thousand. But in her court and in her castle, that's Windsor Castle, this is a meal that she hosted for the royal family of Kuwait in 2018. As you look at this photo, I want to share a few details about this banquet, this great table. It 
The table itself seats 160 people. Can you imagine a table in your house that seats 160? It was made in 1846 and it composes of 68 leaves. (laughs) You know, I have like one leaf in my dining table. Can you imagine 68 of those? When they take it and place it in its full format, it takes two men in socks three days to clean it because they have to clean it with their feet, not with their hands. And they have to wear special padded socks so that every square inch is cleaned by foot. It gets even more strange. It takes two days after they clean the table, polished table, to set the table. Two days to set the table. There are over 2,000 pieces of silver gilted cutlery and 960 glasses. Now, it's only 160 seats. How do you get 960 glasses? Well, every attendant has six glasses. One for the toast, two for dinner, one for dessert, one for water, and one just as an extra in case you need a little extra to drink. Six glasses. How many glasses do you put out for your dinner? You grab a can of Coke, right? You know, don't even get to the glass. Just uh, a Coke can. Here's another thing. This is very interesting to me. After the event is over, it takes three weeks to wash all the dishes. Three weeks. Uh, those of you who are dishwashers, you know, shove them in the dishwasher, close the door, hit the button. You know, 45 minutes later, it's finished. It takes them three weeks. It takes eight people three weeks to hand wash, hand dry, and repolish all 9,000 total pieces for the table. Anybody want to go to that meal? I might want to go. Anybody want to work the meal before or after? No. This is a meal fit for the queen, fit for the king to be, fit for a royal family, fit for a royal hall, fit for a castle. It's a meal set up to show the strength and the majesty and the power and the wealth and the legacy of the queen of England. I want you to keep that in your mind. Keep that in your your thought. Keep that image rolling through. And now compare it to the meal that Jesus had with his disciples before his crucifixion. The entrance into Jerusalem on Sunday is moved to Thursday night. Jesus' last meal with his disciples. There's not 160 guests. There are 12 guests. There's not a great banquet hall. They're in a small upper room that would be smaller than this sanctuary in thirds. There's no ornate silverware, no ornate glasses, no ornate plates. Everything that they have for that meal has been borrowed by the owner of that home. There's no lavish 15-course meal. The meal is the Passover meal, which would include a bit of lamb, Unleavened bread, flat bread, and bitter herbs. There were no musicians and artists and dancing and happy feeling. No, the whole evening, Jesus is reassuring his disciples about what's going to happen within just 24 hours. 
that he's going to die. And you can imagine if you were at a royal banquet, at a royal feast, and the king and the queen is announcing, oh, tomorrow I'm actually going to be executed, going to be crucified. Can you imagine how much of a downer that would be to the banquet? But Jesus is using this last meal, a meal fit for a king, to establish something that they probably even then understood not. That his kingdom was not of this earth. This kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom was not going to be to overthrow the Romans or overthrow the Greeks or to put the Jews back in power or to make the kingdom of David reestablished. No, his mission was something totally different. It was to see his body broken, to see his blood spilled, to see his body hung on a tree, and for his father to cast all the sin upon him and to veil him for the first time from the full communion with God himself. It was for him to be tortured and to suffer and to die for you and me. We now know this meal as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. Some will call it communion. Others will call it the Eucharist. All the same thing. Jesus had commanded his disciples in that upper room to use this meal of bread and the cup to remember him, to remember him, to, to be reminded as the years go by of what the next day was going to include. And what we find a few years later, some 25 years later, in a church that's in a far another country, a country over a thousand miles away from where the original meal took place. You have the Apostle Paul writing to a church who over time had let that meal, the meal that was to be a remembrance, to be instituted by Jesus as a way to be reminded of the cross, they had slowly but surely distorted the meal, distorted the table, distorted his Lord's Supper. And Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 11, to a group of believers who have kind of made a mess of a meal fit for a king. And he wants to correct them in their thinking and in their doing. And I want to read these instructions to you because I want to make sure that we approach this meal, approach this table in the right manner, in the right heart, in the right way as Jesus would instruct. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 34, the words here from the Apostle Paul. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Pause there for a minute because you may say, why is it good for there to be factions? In this church, there were two major groups. One was completely off in their thinking and theology. The other was trying to correct them and instruct them. And Paul's saying, it's good that there are two parts, but the one part needs to overcome the other part so that you get back to right thinking and right understanding of God's plan and God's will. But then it goes further, verse 20. 
And when you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Verse 33. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about other matters whenever I come. Let me just shine a light on three instructions, three reminders about this Lord's table. First, he wanted to make sure that they had the correct intentions because their incorrect intentions were shifting the purpose of the meal. Uh, let, me, let me open up how that actually took place. You may be a little confused. What is he talking about? Getting drunk and being hungry and, and eating at your own house. We take a little wafer, a little cracker. We take a little juice. How can you be filled or be drunk on such a small amount? Well, they had incorrect intentions. Over time, they had taken this meal, this remembrance of the broken body and the shed blood, and they had turned it into a whole banquet. They referred to it as the agape meal or the love feast. And it would be one of these feasts, much like a king or a queen would have with multiple courses. And at some point in the evening, they would have the bread and have the wine and they would remember Jesus. But that could be in the middle. That could be at the end. It could be three, four hours into the program. And folks were coming to this meal and they were completely incorrect in their intentions. Some were coming to the meal to like fill their belly. They came from their houses hungry and they thought by coming to this meal, they were going to get fed. Others completely abused the meal. They drank so much of the cup that they got drunk. Can you imagine a banquet at your church where someone got tipsy? Maybe not in Baptist circles, but if you've grown up in other traditions, you probably can. 
That happens at times. They completely abuse the intentions of this meal. They had incorrect intentions. They had made it about themselves. They made it about getting their fill, getting their stomachs filled, getting their bodies filled with alcohol. They had made it all about them. And friends, this is what I want you to hear today. It's absolutely easy to make this meal about us, about my preferences, about my choices, about what I like to do, the way I like to do it, about my traditions, my obligations, my rituals. Friends, this meal is not about us. This meal is about Jesus. It's about him on the cross dying for our sins. It's about worship. It's not about getting a snack. It's about remembrance, not about getting a cup of juice. It's not about being seen. It's not about being noticed. It's not about being recognized. It's not about the deacon serving. It's not about the pastor serving. It's not about the music that's played. This has absolutely nothing to do with us. It's not about our pretty dishes. It's not about our nice tablecloths. It's not about our covenant table. It's not about us, is it? Is it? It's about Jesus. And over time, we too can make this into something about us. But we need to always remember it's about him. It's about his body. It's about his blood. We need to have correct intentions. Secondly, they needed to be reminded it was about proper proclamation. Look back at verse 26. It's about proper proclamation. Paul writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, say that with me, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim something, you declare something, you are testifying to something, you are speaking something, maybe not with words, but with actions loud and clear. You are making a statement. It would be as if you were holding up a picket sign. We've had some picketing lately in Kentucky. Have y'all noticed? A few pickets for coal. Some picketing for the auto manufacturers. Picketing for educators. Big red t-shirts with big red apples in front of our capital in Frankfurt. Picketing about health care. Picketing about equal pay. Picketing about work. Labor relations. I've never been on a picket line. My father has. But I've never actually experienced that. I've never felt so compelled to hold up a sign and carry it around on a picket line. Actually, I'm not overtly political. I've never actually been to a political rally where I held up a sign or made my voice heard with chanting for this candidate or that candidate. It's just not my style. But I am declaring something every time I receive communion. It's as if I'm holding up a picket sign, holding up an election sign, holding up some sort of declaration as to what I believe and what I want others to know. I am declaring Jesus's death was for me. And that's what you're declaring. When you receive the elements of the bread and the cup, it's as if you're holding up a sign to everyone here and to everyone around you, to family, friends, to neighbors. You're holding up a sign saying, Jesus's death was for me. And if you don't believe that, then don't take the meal. 
because you're proclaiming the Lord's death. And we will continue, all who have trusted Christ by faith, who have received his free gift of salvation, we're gonna declare with the picket sign in this table that Jesus' death was for us. That I'm a sinner who was in need of a savior, who couldn't save myself, but who needed Jesus to save me. That's what you're proclaiming when you receive this meal. And if that's not what you believe, then you shouldn't receive the elements. So you gotta have proper intentions. You gotta understand a proper proclamation. And lastly, you gotta be about exact examination. Exact examination. I think of all the instructions Paul gives, verse 28 and 29, for me, are the big warning. It's, it's, it's what makes this more than some ritual we do in church. It says this in verse 28, let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Through a proper examination, you're looking in. You're looking deeply into your soul, deeply into your life. Four, verse 29, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing, without examining, without soul searching, eats and drinks judgment on themselves. That's a warning, isn't it? It's to stop and to pause. It's to, to take a minute and to look in. It's to, to really say, Lord, where are we at in our relationship? Have, are there things that have caused me to be far from you, to be away from you, to be distant from you? Where are we at? And to really let there be a time of examination. The biggest mistake we often make in communion is we go about thinking it's about a little cracker, a little juice, and we completely ignore that it's about self-examination. It's about Jesus and his remembrance. It's about proclaiming his death that it was for us. And it's about giving us a moment, maybe just a few seconds, to truly examine ourselves and then receive the elements. And so friends, I'm gonna invite you today to this table. When I invite you to make sure first that you have the correct intentions, that you're remembering him, you're remembering his death, you're remembering his blood, that you're also very, very focused on proclaiming the right thing. Hold up your sign if you needed to be saved and not be ashamed of that, but understand that that's what this means. That's what this is about. It's declaring the Lord's death and that you have taken the proper time to examine yourself, to make sure your relationship with Christ is in good place, good health, good communion. Hear the word? Communion with God. And if there's any reason you need to pass the plate, pass the cup, and not receive, it's absolutely okay. Because you're doing what absolutely the scripture has instructed to examine yourself first, then eat and drink. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and to Austin to come and help me. They're going to begin playing just a little bit of music as we receive. I need our deacons who are going to help serve to come.
as we begin this time of communion. Would you begin just by bowing your heads, beginning to reflect upon this table? And I'm gonna ask you just to begin asking God, where are we at? How's our relationship? How's our communion? If our deacons would just come.